Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. You're listening to the Financials Edition taped on Monday, July 10th, 2017. My name is Gabby LaPera, and joining me on Skype is John Maxfield, a Motley Fool contributing expert. Hey, Maxfield, what's shaking? Not too much. How are you doing, Gabby? Pretty good. I'm excited about today's show because, listeners, we're having a theme week. It's been a while since we've had one, and this week's theme is Never Will I Ever, distinguished from Never Have I Ever by intent, I suppose. (laughs) Um, It's fairly self-explanatory, but just in case, the idea is that we will be talking about things that we'll never do, or on occasion, sometimes things that we'll never do again. Um, Maxfield, I believe that you have volunteered to kick us off. So, do you want to tell the audience what you never will you ever? That was that was awkward. <laughs> never will I ever <laughs> say like, that does again. Does it remind you? Does this remind you of college? It's like college, but just you know, a decade in the future on a podcast. Yes. So we will be very careful today, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> or at least we're going to try. If we say something to offend you, I'm so so sorry. <laughs> Okay, so let me tell you what I will never, and this is this is actually kind of a, uh, this is kind of a, a recent development for me. So so let me kind of let me kind of walk you through kind of this because I think that, you know, since our our listeners are investors, I think that they'll kind of they may find this interesting. So, and I've talked about this on the past on the show before, and I've written about it over the last few months. So I have this general I, I have this general theory that, and I don't think it's like my theory. I think it's at this point pretty common. Um, I think that the market's really high right now, and and here's why I think that. I think that for two two different reasons. First, if you just look at like the the, the main valuation metric that like people use to track stocks, blah blah blah, it's the Cape Schiller. It's the Schiller. So there's a guy named Robert Schiller who's a professor uh, of finance at Yale who's like done all this work on valuations in the stock market going back I don't know like back to the Civil War. Well, anyways, a long long time back. And he's he's given us data that shows kind of where the market level is at at any given point in time, and where it's at right now in terms of his valuation metric is it's at the third highest level it's ever been at. Okay, so 1929 it was a little bit higher, which we may maybe our <laughs> listeners will remember what happened in 1929, 1999 it was a little bit higher, uh, and, and it's just the third highest. There was right also now. A, a thing that maybe listeners remember in 1999 as well. You know, yeah. in, in and around that time, just in case you think that we're playing coy with you, that would be the Great Depression and the dot-com bubble. Right, exactly. And, and now here's the thing. Now, asset prices, is particularly equity prices, are inversely correlated to interest rates. Okay, so there's a reason that asset prices are really high right now because interest rates are really low right now. Okay, so that needs to be taken into consideration. But even if you factor that in, I mean, the market is just really high right now. You just, I, I, I think it's hard to get around that fact. The second piece of this puzzle, though, is that there's this thing called the VIX, and the VIX tracks expected volatility in the stock market over the next 30 days, and it does that by looking at activity in the options market, puts and calls. And now this data is actually about a month old, the last time I looked at this, but if you go back like uh, to the beginning of the VIX, it is traded below 10, on only like 16 trading days. Now, this there, there could be like four or five more now because a month has passed. But when I looked at this a month ago, it was only 16 trading days. Is it closed below 10? And, why, those, and why, this is for like, why is that significant, though? Why is it significant that it's traded below 10? Right. So, so they, yeah, so I'll get to that. So, okay. it's traded, <laughs> but half of those days, and this goes back like m- multiple decades, okay? 
Half of those trading days, eight of those trading days have been this year. Okay, so the question is, well, what, why, to your point, why is that significant? Well, you look at what's going on in the world right now, and you look at asset prices and equity prices, and everybody knows that they're high. Yet there's no expected volatility in the market. And you look at, you know, North Korea's testing ICBMs, right? Which you don't know where that's gonna go. We have the issues with Russia and Europe. You know, we have kind of this breakdown in, in, in the middle. So you have all these things going on in the world right now, and all this uncertainty in the United States, and all this uncertainty around potential, you know, catalysts that could cause stocks to either go up or down, whether it's tax reform, healthcare reform, whatever it is, all these things going on, yet at the same time, there's basically no vol no expected volatility by professional traders. It just seems unusual, it's, you know what I mean? And, and so you add that to the fact that the market is really high, and then you go back in history and you look at when those two factors have kind of lined up in the, in the past, and those factors have lined up in the past. So what that led me to believe is that generally my investment approach is to, I will, you know, contribute a certain amount of my income every year to my SEP IRA, which allows you to contribute up to 25% of your income. And then I'll wait to invest that money until an opportunity in the market presents itself. So the last time I did this was at the beginning of 2016 when we had a little correction in the market. So I was thinking, I was like, well, you know, what I'll do is I'll just like wait, you know, till if my, if this comes to fruition and the market recorrects, you know, at some point in the future, I'll just wait till that happens and I'll buy stocks cheap and then I'll just sit on those for a long time, which is kind of generally what I do. But then I got to thinking about it and I was like, you know what, why not just give it, I've never tried to profit on the downside of anything. And I was like, why not? I'm in the investing business, I write about it, why not give it a try and see what that's like? So what I did recently is I bought some puts and these are options that allow you, it's a like, these, are the, these give you the person who buys a put gives you the right to sell a stock at a certain price in the future. So let's say with Bank of America, right? Just, that's the company that I know well. Its stock is trading like 24 bucks a share. So you could buy a put for whatever, whatever that would cost that would allow you to sell that stock in two years at $24 a share. Well, if Bank of America stock goes down to 20 in that time period, you can then basically, for all intents and purposes, sell Bank of America for $24 and then buy for $20 and then you profit on the downside. Well, the problem with buying puts is that they expire at a certain time period. So you can buy them out to two years, but you can buy them out like a month, buy them out two months, buy them out six months, buy them out a year. You can buy them out all these type of different over these different time periods. But the problem is that the price that you pay for that right decreases the closer you get to the so-called expiration date. So let's say I buy a put on Bank of America thinking that its stock is going to go down and I buy that put for a month out. Well, the value that I pay for that put, as I get to that 29th day, right before it expires, is basically gonna be nothing, unless the actual stock has gone down, you know, to a certain, you know, far enough to actually make the put in, inherently valuable. So the point, the lesson that I learned in all of this, in doing this, this is the first time I'd ever bought puts before, was that if you're going to try to buy puts to profit on the way down, you really have to have a, a good sense or at least you know, feel like you've gotten your thesis to a place where you have a sense that a catalyst is relatively imminent in the near future because otherwise it would just cost you way too much to sit there and wait for the market to go down as the value of those puts erode. Yeah, um, I think that I have said this before on the show, which is that I think that 
people who trade options really, really, really need to know what they're doing. You can't just do it to do it, right? Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, you you really can't because then you get this guy that I I know I've mentioned multiple times on the show who uh, shorted Valiant and the price went way up and suddenly he was three hundred thousand dollars in debt. Um, and that that that's like more of an error of not understanding how options work. Period. But um, but yeah, like you really want to have some sort of solid thesis for why you're putting a put in, not just doing it just to do it. You know. Yeah, and you know the the way I think about it is that, and my father told me this, going way way back, is that whenever you make some any type of speculative investment, and when you're buying options, it is it is a speculative investment because there's no inherent value in those options that will that will last beyond the expiration period. When you're doing something like this, you just have to assume that it goes to zero. I mean, that's not what your hope is. Yeah. But you cannot be you can you certainly shouldn't be doing these things unless you feel like you have a good sense for how investing works. And you certainly shouldn't be even if you do have a sense for a pretty good sense for how investing should should work. You certainly shouldn't be doing these types of things with money that you would ever need. These are small pinpointed. The, the purpose of this type of thing is like a small pinpointed bet that is either just straight up directional or it's for the purpose of hedging other holdings in your portfolio. Yeah, no, I. I 100% agree. It's the same it's the same concept as like don't lend money that someone that you, that you need or that you ever expect to see again. Don't do that for options either. At least in my opinion and probably Maxfield's. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah, absolutely. And this is a lesson. Now, let me be this is, I lost $2,000 on this bet. Now, someone could say that that's a mistake and like, yeah, I mean to a certain extent that is a mistake, but I'll tell you this that it it was a valuable mistake that or it was a valuable lesson that now once you have you put money on the line and you learn the lesson in that way it's a very sticky lesson <laughs> so you not only do you learn like oh kind of how these works but you learn like you know kind of like in the bernstein's bears books like what not to do you know what i mean you remember it when you lose money yeah that's um that's exactly i can hear my mom's cheerful voice going like well it's really sad that this happened but at least you learned a valuable lesson and isn't that a wonderful upside um. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's you know like you need to think about lessons. I mean, like I consider it to be a valuable lesson, like whether it's two thousand dollars worth or not. Like it, you know, it's something that definitely is something that I learned. Yeah, no, and, and and that's good. And my mom is right. I I don't mean to make fun of her. I'm not making fun of her. She's a hundred percent right. Even bad situations are good in that you can take something from them and and learn from it and and move on. And hopefully, never will you ever make that mistake again. Um, exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to turn to to mine now, which is uh, succinctly put: Never will I ever take advice at face value. Um, and this applies to a lot of different arenas in life, but kind of more specifically for what we talk about on the show all the time. Um, this applies to financial planning and stock theses. Um, so I actually asked one of our one of our financial planners who works for our sister company, like what some what is some advice that she's heard from clients or that people have tried to give her herself um, that she has been like, wow, that's that's terrible advice. Um, that kind of illustrates my point that you shouldn't take advice at face value. So, for example, um, you should probably don't need to invest in life insurance when you don't have a spouse, children, or significant assets. Like if you have life insurance through your work already, you probably don't need to buy extra if you don't have any of those other things. Like for example, me. 
me. I don't have a spouse or children or any significant assets. Um, so I'm cool with just my work policy. And if a financial planner is trying to sell you something like that, um, and you know, like your conditions don't really warrant it, like maybe you should re-examine whether or not the advice you're getting from them is coming from a good place. Um, and this is kind of where I want to put a plug in for something called the fiduciary rule, which basically says that financial planners need to kind of swear this oath. It's like the Hippocratic oath, except for financial planning, saying that they will put their customers' best interests first. Um, I think a lot of people kind of just assume that financial planners are doing this already, which is a mistake, unfortunately. There's a lot of financial planners out there who are just like, yeah, sure, like I'm totally doing what's best for you and what's best for me in terms of money, because sometimes by selling you things, they, they make a percentage. Um, so that's an example of financial planning. That, that not working out. A more personal example for me is I remember when I was 18 and I marched into the bank and I was like, I have a job. I would like to open an IRA. What kind of IRA should I open? And the banking lady looked at me and she said, you need a traditional IRA, obviously. And I was like, okay. And I opened a traditional IRA. <laughs> Come to find out a couple of years later, a traditional IRA did not make sense for me at the time. I was making $7 an hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> your big tax break. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I needed a huge tax break there. In fact, I up until last year, I believe that the state that the that the government owed me money every year up until this last year. <laughs> so, um, traditional IRA was not the best idea for me. And just for listeners who aren't as familiar with traditional and Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs give you a tax break up front. Um, whatever you contribute, you can deduct from your taxes. Um, Roth IRAs are a better idea for people who think that they're going to make more money in the future and will be taxed more heavily in the future, which was basically 18-year-old me. Um, I can assure you that I am making more money now than I did when I was 18 because I was making the minimum wage when I was 18, which I think was still like, what was it, like $5.70 or something an hour? It was not a lot of money. <laughs> Those were the days, huh? Those were the days. Um, I'm, I'm, I was, I'm was on an upward, and hopefully continue to be on an upward trajectory in terms of of uh, wealth generation in my life. So a Roth IRA is really great because when you you get taxed on that money, like it's it's uh, the money gets taxed before you put it into the IRA. But when you withdraw it from the IRA when you retire. You don't have to pay any taxes on it, which is really great. That's awesome. If you can get a Roth IRA, you totally should. Um, but yeah, so that was a that was a mistake I made, and then it was this this horrible thing where I had opened the IRA with Bank of America, and then they acquired Merrill Lynch shortly thereafter, and then my IRA was in this unholy limbo where no one could figure out who owned it, Bank of America or Merrill Lynch, because in theory Merrill Lynch owns all of the IRAs now, but mine somehow fell through the cracks and no one could figure out how to get the money that I'd put into the IRA out of the IRA and into an account that anyone could access. I couldn't even put money into my IRA. Um, so anyway, that's my that's my story of not I should not have taken financial advice at face value at that point. The internet was around. I could have gone and checked for myself, but I didn't. Yeah, and and, and you know what? It's it's funny you say that cuz when you when you talk about that it it's it's not that you don't want to, and I'm sure this is how you feel. It's not like you don't want to take advice from an expert, but just because somebody is an expert doesn't necessarily mean you should 100% follow their advice. You know what I mean? And and so then you think about like in kind of the behavioral finance context, like they refer to this as authority bias, where yeah. people are just have a tendency to like you know some expert says something, so these people just take it as face value. 
Well, to a certain extent, like you do, you, you should factor in what experts are saying, but it doesn't mean you have to take it for the absolute truth. And so there's, I think there's two things in here, or three things in here to, to kind of keep in mind. The first is that like, always try to figure out, you know, if you're making a serious decision, like, you know, what type of, you know, how to structure your retirement portfolio or, you know, the infrastructure under which you're gonna set up, you know, prepare for your retirement, always keep in mind the bias of the person giving advice. So like in Gabby's case, in the absence of a fiduciary rule, a financial advisor could very well be representing their interests in terms of selling you products over your interests. So you'd wanna, you'd wanna know that. Another thing is just to keep in mind is, you know, a lot of times you'll notice like when people, you know, come to decisions, they'll like cite quotes and stuff like that. And a lot of times those quotes be taken out of context, out of a large, you know, kind of a larger context, whether those quotes are taken from, you know, an investor conference of an investor talking about it, you know, through an ent entire, you know, presentation at a conference, but only a couple sentences are pulled out. You want to really understand the full context around, you know, if you're going to make a decision, particularly a financial decision, based on advice from somebody, and particularly if that advice is through hearsay, so you're reading about the advice as opposed to directly seeing it in front of you, mm -hmm. you want to take the full context in, into consideration. The, the let other me just thing insert myself in there real quick. So what you said, like this obviously also applies to stock theses, right? Like it's very well and good to read an article and just like get like one line pulled out of a transcript, you're far better off going and finding the original transcript yourself and seeing what all the information was around that quote. And not just that, you're far better off going and checking to see what the 10Q or the 10K says for yourself. So if you're really interested in a company and you're thinking about making a financial decision to invest in the company, you should do some of your own research. You shouldn't just take what experts quote unquote experts sometimes say at face value, you, you really need to, to do some of the digging for your for yourself, I think. Just a little bit, maybe not a lot, but just enough to confirm that what they're saying, what this person's thesis is, is actually right. Yeah, and and, and yeah, primary sources is the way to go. I mean like if, if you have the opportunity to go and examine primary sources, that's where you should go. It's like it's like the best stuff, right? I, I think one of my favorite pictures that I've seen recently was a picture of a dog with his little paws on the keyboard and it overlaid on it it says, You can be anyone on the internet. And that's true. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's so true. So just keep but, that in mind. <laughs> and just to, to add one tiny book into this, the, the last point to this is that you can help to combat against following bad quote unquote expert advice by triangulating your resources. So if you see one article that says something that you think is worthy to factor into your investment thesis, go and see what other people are saying and try to triangulate it from a number of different per, uh, perspectives. Because if you can corroborate evidence, not only does that, you know, you know, should that give you more confidence in all of the information that you have that's underlying your thesis? But a, a whole bunch of cooperating pieces of evidence increases the probative value of each individual piece of evidence, right? If everything goes together. So triangulating from multiple sources, I think, is a, is a great way to, to kind of think about how to try to defeat that authority bias. Definitely. And I think the other thing to think about is that it's not necessarily like these evil, malicious characters acting against your best interest, right? Like, I'm sure that bank lady didn't know. She just gave me the wrong advice. But I think the other place to, to look out for this um, in kind of like your personal finance world is um, I was looking at our, at our Twitter analytics, and apparently a lot of people who listen to this show have a job. And if you have a job, you probably have a 401k. And I think that a mistake a lot of people make is just going with the default funds in their 401k, because they assume mm -hmm. that 
whatever has been selected is probably what's best for them. And that's not necessarily true. Like you, you do need to look at the expenses and see like what you're actually putting all your money into because sometimes the expense ratios are out of control. You know, like they're one and a half percent. That's way too much. FYI, just in case you're curious, if it's one and a half percent, just take it and put it in literally anything else that's lower. Yeah. You know, yeah, so like just, an ETF where you basically free, but you get the same thing. Yeah. So just like keep in mind, like sometimes it's not someone actively trying to work against you, but it's just like kind of the default or someone just didn't know better. Like, I don't want people to leave this podcast thinking like, wow, the world is a bad and sad place. It's not. <laughs> this podcast is in it and this podcast is great. Um, but no, just just kind of keep in mind that, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people might accidentally give you the wrong advice or you think that they're giving you advice and they're really not. It's just like whatever happened to already be there. Just, you know, check for yourself, guys. Right, Maxfield? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just check for yourself. Sorry. No, it's totally I was fine. like, sometimes I get lost, like thinking about the next like subject we're going to, and then. <laughs> well, talking about the next subject that we're going into, so we thought that it would be fun to do some never will I ever's, kind of from real life, or never will I ever again from real life. So um, we're just gonna kind of go around the room. Everyone's gonna say one, and then we'll just keep going around until we've run out. Um, there, w- there won't be a lot of these, I promise. Um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and kick this off with: Never will I ever try to eat within a couple of hours of hanging out with dead people, ever okay. again. <laughs> <laughs> Austin's giving me a pretty gross face. Um, I used to work with a lot of, um, with with bones, with mummies, with people who were dead and kind of rotting. And after having seen a lot of that, and it like it never turns my stomach in the moment. But if I try and go and eat within a couple hours of having done that, inevitably, some smell that I smell from the food will remind me of the thing that I had just been working on, or some visual. So I think the things that jump to mind for me. This is really gross, listeners. If you don't want to hear this, fast forward like 15 seconds. Um, would be the time that I was working with a mummy. And then, like a mummy, like a like a wrapped up like one. King Tut. Yes, like a like a King Tut, except from Peru and a, a small woman. Um, and I went to go eat roast lamb, which is one of my favorite things. And that mummy smelled exactly like roast lamb. <laughs> I couldn't picture it. I couldn't like quite put my finger on it when I had like originally <laughs> unwrapped the mummy. But as soon as that smell of roasted lamb wafted over me, I was like, Oh no, oh. <laughs> I cannot eat this. <laughs> Um, so yeah, never never will I ever again. (laughs) I'm so sorry. And each mummy, it's actually really interesting depending on how they preserve, they were preserved and like what their environment is. Each of them has a very distinctive smell to them. So, um, things that I guess you probably didn't think you'd hear today. (laughs) Uh, Maxfield, what's yours? Okay. My, since you went with food, I'll stick with food because I have a food one. Never will I ever. That's what we're saying, right? Never will I ever. Never will I ever. Never will. Never will I ever. And this could change, but this is my where my intent is right now. Never will I ever buy a value meal at McDonald's. And here's the reason, Gabby. Okay. You're thinking like John. You're saying that because you're you like to eat healthy. That's a lie. I don't like to eat healthy. In fact, I really like McDonald's. Okay, I'm not too proud to say that. Okay, but here's the thing: the value menu. That's a complete farce. 
The only <laughs> thing to buy, it, there's too much margin in the fries and the drink. You got to go straight to the dollar menu. And I know it's not dollar anymore. It's like a dollar 25 now. You got to go straight to the dollar menu at McDonald's. I know they will not appreciate that advice, but it's the best way to get your bang for the buck at McDonald's. That was actually very good advice. Thank you. Um, so, Austin, it's your turn. Never will I ever agree that fall is a better season than spring. <laughs> do you want to explain that a little bit more, or is that just a statement? Spring is my favorite season for sure, and I really, really dislike fall. Most people really like fall. I hate fall. Why? <laughs> you, hate, you hate change. It's always getting you, colder. You hate... The days are getting shorter. Everything's dying. It's terrible. <laughs> you got to hang out with your aunts and uncles at Thanksgiving. Like, nightmare. Spring, <laughs> spring, there's baseball starting. The weather's getting nicer. The days are getting longer. It's just a way, way better uh, season. And everyone seems to like fall more, except for me. Except for Austin. Austin, I, I don't think you're alone. But that that's good. That's I'm really glad that you are taking a stand on this point. <laughs> um, okay, so it's my turn again, and this is a this is a real hypothetical. But um, never will I ever take a time machine. And I know that this might be an unpopular thing. I, like I used to be a historian. I, I really enjoy history. But never will I ever go back to a time before a woman could vote. Or, you know, before penicillin was a thing. Or indoor plumbing. There's so many wonderful things about now. I really love now so much. Would you go to the future? <laughs> ooh. Ooh. I hadn't even thought about a time machine that goes forward. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Think about a time machine that brings you to where you don't have to drive cars anymore. That's like 10 years from now. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like three years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's true. That's like four years. That's like, that's like, you know, that's. I, I wouldn't have even changed that much. I probably would still have the ne yeah. the same never will I ever's <laughs> by the time. You don't even true. need time machine. You just need to go to bed tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't know. Okay. I'll All have right. to think about whether or not I would go. To Listeners, would you go to the future in your hypothetical time machine? <laughs> I'm, yeah, you, I'm excited yeah, to hear. Yeah, back to the past and know what stock prices are. I would go in a heartbeat. Oh my God! It's Back to the Future. Um, we've just discovered the plot to a popular 80s movie. Um, <laughs> all right, Maxfield, it's your turn again. Okay, never will I ever own a pet snake. And here's why. You think like, why would you cut off, like, because snakes, they're important. They're a part of like our like ecosystem. Why would I have a thing? I, I, I am not for discriminating against, you know, different type of people or different types of animals. But I watched a uh, a local uh, news show like 10 years ago about uh, a, a guy, or I don't know if it was a guy or a girl or a couple, who owned a pet snake. And it was like a boa constructor. I don't know. It was like one of those ones that gets big. And it got out of its cage and got into its vent system in the house. And ever since then, and I wasn't inclined to buy a snake and to own a pet snake before then because if I'm going to go in the pet direction... I'm gonna go in like the cuddly pet direction, you know what I mean? But the, I've never been able to forget about the idea that if you own a pet snake, that's A, and then the thing that happens next, B, is they escape and they get into your vents and then you, then you have to live in fear for the rest of your life. Okay, I'm gonna put something out there. This might be an urban legend that my father told me, but my dad, my parents are from Venezuela, and my dad said that he had this professor at the university 
that was probably a Nazi, realistically. Because after World War II, a lot of Nazis fled to South America to like escape persecution. I've, never, I've always wondered why that was, but yeah. So he had a professor that like people were pretty sure that he was a, an ex-Nazi. Um, and this guy had this apartment in this, this big apartment building in the middle of Caracas. Um, and he liked to sleep with the door open because back in the day, the AC wasn't so good. So like you would get some night breeze and like the way the apartments are constructed in Venezuela, it's like to take maximal advantage of the winds that generally flow through the city. So he leaves his, his balcony door open and in the middle of the night, the people above him had a boa constrictor and it escaped and it dropped down from their balcony onto his balcony and strangled him to death. Actually, exactly. fun fact. <laughs> Apparently, boa constrictors don't don't strangle you to death. Uh, it's actually, they make your heart stop. Um, I learned that a couple weeks ago, and I thought listeners would want to know. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I, I too would never own a snake. Unless it was a Nazi killing snake, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Find one of those. Yeah. Uh, Austin, but I don't know if you would need one right now is the thing. You that's know true. I mean? <laughs> not, not a lot of Nazis <laughs> left. Um, and like I said, listeners, I don't know if that story is true, but it has really stuck with me. Any, any opinions on that, Austin? <laughs> I will stick with a puppy. Puppies <laughs> bite a lot, but they don't strangle you or make your heart stop. Fair enough. Um, do, you, do you have another never will I ever? Never will I ever take life advice from Jaden Smith. <laughs> I'm sorry, like Will Smith's son? Yeah, have you ever looked at his Twitter page? I have, I have not. Highly recommended. It. It's very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, fair Don't enough. Take life advice from him. Okay, can you can you think of a thing that he you has know, like said one recently? One example. Have to look up. <laughs> okay, while while Austin looks up an example, I will give you my final one. Which is never will I ever underestimate a raccoon again. Okay, I know that the internet has call, taken to calling them trash pandas, which makes them sound cute. I guess <laughs> I don't really know, but they are they are wily, strong, ferocious creatures, and they will get into anything that is not like padlocked with a lock that they can't pick with pine needles or something like that. Like they're so so smart. I went camping. And we had like left out a cooler that we had we had closed, right? Like with bungee cords and like whatever. Um, and the raccoons had figured out how to 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 depress the button. It was like one of those big old Gatorade coolers that you see people dumping over other people at sporting events. Um, they'd figure out how they'd figured out how to depress the button and drink what was in the cooler, which happened to be a highly alcoholic mix. And so we get back to the to our campsite, and not only is most of our alcohol gone, it has been imbibed by these raccoons who are now laying comatose all over the campsite. One of them manages to rouse itself enough to kind of look at us, twitch an ear, and then army crawl out of the camp because its back legs aren't working, probably because it had alcohol poisoning. Um, so that was that was just a combination of terrible things. Our alcohol was gone. We had a bunch of gross raccoons everywhere and we just weren't smart enough to to defeat the the raccoons and that was not a high point in my life i will say that (laughs) maxfield are you just trying to take that take take in that story i'm trying to think about how mad i would be if a bunch of raccoons took away all my alcohol (laughs) (laughs) processing that on a camping trip (laughs) i know you're on an island you can't get anything we were on an island at the time just in case anyone was curious um cumberland island in georgia which is beautiful and if you can make it down there and even if you don't really like camping it's a really really great place to go um they're thinking about putting some developments on it so 
I don't know. Please support the not development <laughs> part of Cumberland Island. Anyway, that was not very well said. Maxfield, do you have another one? Yeah, here's my last one. Okay, it is never will I ever be good at trivia. And this is a problem for me because <laughs> I am known in within my group of friends and acquaintances of being a big reader. And most people, particularly people who are not big readers, associate reading a lot with being good at trivia. But I have, and I don't know if that's true or not, but I can tell you this, I read a lot and I am horrible at trivia. So, <laughs> and I don't think that'll ever change. My mind just doesn't work that way. Fair enough. I will never call upon you. Never will I ever call upon you to be on my trivia team. Very good. Yeah, smart. Unless you, unless they're go, they're they're scoring it like golf. <laughs> Noted. Austin. If everyone in the world dropped out of school, we would have a much more intelligent society. Jane Smith. <laughs> oh, there you go. If a cupcake wow, falls okay. from a tree, now we see why how far away will it be from down? Wait, hold on, say that again. If a cupcake falls from a tree, how far away will it be from down? Pound sign, Jupiter. I, I don't even know what to say to that. Never will I ever take advice. Like, this is, like, you can just search Jaden Smith inspirational thoughts or deep thoughts on Twitter, and there is tons of results. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Austin. Um, yeah, this is I'm probably going to like spend my whole afternoon reading that. All right, so never will I ever take uh, financial advice from the, at face value, and also never will I ever, ever, ever take advice from Jaden Smith on anything. <laughs> um, I don't think. Uh, okay, I, I'm going to wrap it up on that very puzzling thought. As usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Contact us at industryfocus at fool.com or by tweeting us at mfindustryfocus and let us know what things you never will do or will never do again. Um, I'd like to thank Austin Morgan, our wonderful producer. <laughs> and uh, thank you very much to Maxfield for joining us. And thank you to all for listening. And everyone have a great week. <laughs>